0: Scripture tells story after story of God calling out to people in the stillness, in the quiet. We spent a good part of last summer talking through disciplines that intentionally create space to slow down and to listen. Jesus got away often. He stayed up late or or got up early. He went out to the mountains or out into the wilderness, usually before making an important decision or before doing something significant. And he encouraged his first followers to do the same sort of thing. Peter and Paul were told they they spent time alone up on a rooftop or out in the desert. And the entire book of Revelation is a result of John being in solitude for years on the island of Patlons. Even the creation story where God calls out to Adam and Eve while they're hiding. But even in that story, we're given this picture of a serene, still, quiet garden, of God finding the ones God created and, and having a conversation with them. The the precedent is set through all kinds of examples, and is time-tested through, through different disciplines. If we want to hear God, to connect with our Creator, and discern where God might be leading we're supposed to get away, to slow down, to, to make space. But what happens when you can't find quiet? What happens when the world is so busy, so noisy, that no matter what you do, you just can't be still? Over the last 15 years, I've struggled with this question myself. I've shared some with you about my, my journey of living with Meniere's disease. I've talked about it here at WPC before. Now, fortunately, I haven't struggled with with one of the symptoms of the disease with vertigo like I did early on for quite some time. But I have lost a decent amount of my hearing. And I live constantly with a, a ring or a roar in both of my ears. Finding literal silence for me is impossible. And I know that some of you struggle with similar symptoms. The story of Noah is a story that's often taught in Sunday school. There's all kinds of illustrations of animals walking up a ramp and onto the ark two by two. There are songs, there are movies, some some movies for kids, some movies for adults, and and there's all, all kinds of different debates among historians and literary critics of Near Eastern literature. But ultimately, the story of Noah is a story of God's covenant of God's promise, of Noah answering the where are you question with, I'm here, I'm willing and I'm ready to take a risk. In the heart of it all, we see a person who responds to to God's call in the midst of a a noisy world. The sixth chapter of Genesis starts with a, a bleak picture. There's this confusing mix of sons of God, daughters of humans, and and giants or fallen angels called Nephilim. It almost sounds like it's out of a C.S. Lewis tale or out of a a J.K. Rowling book, J.K. Rowling book, or even a Marvel Universe movie. And the literary debates around this part of the text, they revolve around it it maybe being a myth or a metaphor or hyperbole or something like that. And regardless of where we land, the world during this time, it looked different and it was chaotic. God's heart was troubled and there was a whole lot of evil. But we read that it got so bad that the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them, the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It's as though God wanted to to kind of hit reset and was looking for the right person, someone who could hear through the noise to, to hit that button. The author of Hebrews puts it a little differently, and he writes, By faith, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, Noah built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Between the place where where Noah finds favor in in the Lord in Genesis 6, 8, and where where God gives the sign of the covenant in in Genesis 9, that that rainbow, there is a lot that happens. Between those two places, we see evidence of of Noah hearing through the noise. He's obedient over and over again, while everyone around him doesn't appear to be listening. Now, sometimes the debates about the flood story, they revolve around the reason behind why it had to happen in the first place. What was it that God grieved so much? What was it that broke God's heart? What exactly made the creator of the world want to destroy the creation? While it's a valid question to ask, I'm not sure we'll ever have a concrete answer for it. We know something was off, but if you read through the story from start to finish, you'll, you'll find that, that more time is spent describing why God saved Noah, why God chose Noah, why God sought Noah out, searched for him, than why he needed saving in the first place. Noah's the first person in, in all of scripture referred to as a righteous person. And right away, we're given a description of what that means. It's someone who's blameless among others, blameless among their peers. And someone who walks faithfully with God. Another translation of this phrase would be that Noah was a just man. Someone who is blameless and faithful in the face of all kinds of corruption. God commands Noah to begin building. And Noah's obedient. He's given the blueprints, 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high, with three decks and plenty of room for all kinds of animals. Now imagine you were one of Noah's neighbors, and you see this giant boat ark thing beginning to take shape. You head over to his house and you say, hey, what are you building? The minute that Noah responds with, well, God told me to build a boat. You begin to look at him a little funny. Then when he continued with, I'm going to have all, all these different animals come on by twosies, twosies, elephants and kangaroosies. Just like that Sunday school song that kids are going to be singing in a few thousand years. The moment that he answered with that, he probably wished that you never asked the question in the first place. If you knew Noah, you'd ask around, maybe ask some of his family members, is Noah okay? And if you didn't know Noah, I'm sure that you'd go an extra mile to not know him. There would be all kinds of laughter in the community about him. Probably some unkind words shared, even genuine concern. But then, then when the rain came, the tone would switch. The laughter would would turn to cry, to please for help. And Noah's ability to hear God through the noise would have looked like foolishness to his neighbors at one point. but, But now his obedience would have made him stand out in the culture around him. How does that look for us today? Is there anything about our faith that makes us stand out? anything about the way we listen for God's voice, anything about the way we obediently love God and love others that might not make sense to the rest of the world. Noah answers God's call in a time when no one else, for for whatever reason, had the ability to respond. But it doesn't stop there. God gives Noah the idea of the ark, It even gives Noah the instructions. Noah follows through and he begins building as the rest of the world falls apart and continues in its corrupt ways. It's this beautiful picture of of the creator working with the created to launch something new. Something new that would eventually bring new life to generations to come. And as the ark nears completion, God God calls out to Noah again, pointing out that Noah is righteous, that Noah is just, and says that, hey, Noah, the the rain's on its way. It'll be there in a week. And again, he responds. Noah is obedient. They start going on to the boat. As the rain comes, the waters rise, and eventually 600-year-old Noah and his family are alone on a boat with all kinds of animals. Now, usually when the flood narrative comes up, at some point in the discussion, we talk about all the numbers. Rain for 40 days, seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, one pair of every kind of unclean animal. The cubits for the measurements of the ark, what do those mean? Noah being 600 years old, what does that mean? The earth being flooded for 150 days. There are a lot of numbers. And like many of you, I've got questions about all of them. But I don't think we should lose sight of the big picture in debates over the details. During this this series that we're in, I've tried to remind us that faithfulness, it it goes two ways. So as we try to be faithful to God, to be obedient, as we strive for that, we often discover that God is faithful to us. That God is constantly searching for us. So we we see it in the creation story with God calling out to Adam and Eve as, as we've discussed. We see it in the Easter story as the resurrected Christ looks for his first followers. And we see it here. God calling out during a corrupt time in the earth's existence. Noah, existence. Noah responding in the noise of it all. And then later, after a season that had to feel like it went on and on and on, we're told that God remembers Noah. That God remembers Noah. This story, it almost parallels the creation narrative. But instead of God walking through the garden and calling out, where are you? God sends a wind or a spirit to comb over the flooded earth, searching, looking for Noah and his family and animals. Noah is obedient and God is faithful. But I bet there were moments when Noah and his family sat on that boat thinking they were forgotten. Not sure how much longer they could go, how much longer they would be cooped up with one another. I'm guessing there would have been a day or two where Noah walked out onto the deck of that that boat and and second-guessed himself. Maybe even second-guessed God's plan. I, I wonder if it was easier for him to hear God's voice in the noise of a busy world than it was to sit alone in seclusion on the ark, with nothing more than his thoughts and his doubts, well, and his family and a few hundred animals. This last year has been difficult for so many of us. We haven't necessarily been stuck on a boat, but it's not a stretch at all to say that we have been stuck. And even as it looks like we're kind of coming out of the the fog a bit, it's a season that's left us with questions and and a good amount of uncertainty about the future. When the flood finally subsides and God calls Noah and his family out of the ark, I have to imagine they had questions about what the future held for them as well. Noah, he builds an altar to, to give thanks, to, to have a, a worship service. And God assures them that the earth would never be destroyed the same way again. And then they're set free to rebuild. The world wouldn't look the same, but God's faithfulness was. God's faithfulness is the same. It's what the sign of the covenant, the rainbow Is all about. It was a sign that pointed to God working to restore a broken relationship, a sign that points to God's continual search for humankind, a sign that points to new beginnings. So as we work to hear God's voice today, to respond obediently in a noisy world, and at times as we sit feeling stuck with the discomfort of our own thoughts, May we cling to the reminder that God is actively pursuing us. Let's remember the sign of the covenant. And let's remember that God is faithful. Amen.